Well, good evening. Let me have my welcome to James. Uh, it's great to see you all here at church tonight. Um, today we're finishing off our series in John's Gospel where we've been tracking through the, the different people who, who testify to Jesus. And today we're looking at four different responses to the good news that Jesus is alive. Mary meets Jesus in, in a place of deep grief and longing, and Jesus answers her longing, and it seems like for her, everything that was wrong in her world is set right again. But Jesus points her forward instead of inward, and she bursts out to tell others, I've seen the Lord. The disciples meet Jesus in a place of fear and confusion, and Jesus brings the clarity and exuberant joy, and they burst out to tell others, to tell Thomas, we have seen the Lord. Uh, but Thomas meets Jesus in, in kind of a different place. Thomas meets Jesus in the midst of his doubt and skepticism. Um, and Jesus meets him with the, with the proof, the evidence he requires in order to believe. And he bursts out in worship, my Lord and my God. And then finally, the fourth person who John writes into the story is you. John, as, as, as though he's turning the camera so that you're looking down the barrel of the lens and he draws attention to you, the hearer, leaving you with the question, well, what now? You've been given everything you need so that you too might believe. Well, how, how will you respond to the good news that Jesus is alive? Uh, so I'm, I, I think there's heaps in here that I'm really excited to dive into together, um, to dive into doubt and belief together, to, to see what we can learn together as we read. And so would you, would you pray with me as we begin? God, would you open up our eyes and our hearts today? To the skeptic among us, would you show us the, your truth? To the downhearted, would you, would you give us that joy of faith to the shaky would you give us assurance and to the firm would you excite our resolve to tell the good news amen i wonder as i read kind of summary of each of those stories i wonder if any of those resonated with you um perhaps more than one my life has been kind of a a, a mess of all all of those stories really on the one hand i, I shared in mary's overflowing enthusiasm i just finished school i was leading at, at youth and at sunday Sunday church, uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday kids program. Um, people were saying to me, I should be thinking about going to ministry. I could say I was really active and keen. But at the same time, I harbored the, the deep doubts and stubborn doubts that, that Thomas did. Um, some that I felt that I could never articulate. I, I knew that it was okay for Christians to have doubts, but I still felt like people wouldn't respect me in the same way if, if they knew the questions I'd been asking in my quiet moments. I'd started uni by then and, and I'd started making friends from all different religious and cultural backgrounds. And as I got to know a few of the Muslim students on campus, one of them asked me, well, do you think you would be a, a Christian if you were born into a Muslim family? To which I stubbornly said, yes, uh, I, I believe this because I'm convinced that it's the truth of the universe, not the truth of my family. But all the same, the question stuck with me. I started writing down my convictions. And as I wrote, I decided that um, Central to it all was, was the resurrection of Jesus. If someone can come back from the dead, then they're probably worth listening to about what, what's beyond this life. So as I studied history at uni, I, I ended up spending two years studying the resurrection of Jesus to decide if it was a, a fact or fairy tale. And as I looked, the more I looked into it, the more, more convicted I was. Aside from the niggling voice in the back of my head that said, people just don't come back from the dead, all signs pointed to the fact of, of the resurrection being a fact of history a moment that convinced the disciples and changed the world forever. 
while I was doing that, I was also looking into Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism, um, and no other faith so openly invites investigation. And that was one of the things that really struck me. Like when Paul writes about the resurrection 30, just 30 years later in 1 Corinthians 15, he lists the eyewitnesses, um, adding the comment, many of them are still living, as, in, as if to say, go, go and ask them yourself. And so I did work through that period of doubt, but all that time I found it really hard to, to, to know what to do with the, the doubts that I was carrying. Um, when, like, are there spaces where it's okay to, to, to talk about them? What, what should I have done with them? Um, and I, th I think this, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving into the, the themes of doubt and faith, because I think there's, there's some really helpful things for us. And so let's, let's look through it at each of those different, four different stories. Um, first is, is the story of Mary, who expresses deep longing in her grief and exuberant joy in her belief. By this point in the story, Mary has already come to, to see the stones been rolled away. She's run back to tell, find Peter and John. They've rushed ahead of her, and we've heard their story. But now she's returned for a second time in a quieter, slower moment, and, we, uh, and she stands at the edge of the tomb weeping. And for the first time then, she peers in, and she sees two angels in white. And when they ask her, woman, why are you crying? We get the first glimpse into what's happening inside her head. She says, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. She's standing there weeping by the side of the tomb, trying to make sense of what has happened. Where, is, where have they taken his body? What can I do to make it right? As she turns away from that, she runs face to face into Jesus, who's standing right there, um, and asks her the same question, why are you crying? She mistakes him for a gardener, which kind of seems like an odd thing at first, but I think that there is a logic to it. She's, trying to, she's going through the different options, what's happened to his body, maybe, maybe a gardener has taken it, maybe this, it wasn't supposed to be put in this tomb, and so the gardener who tends these tombs has come and, and take it away. So, so she says, doesn't answer his question, but says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go and get him. Let's say, I'll find another way. He, he needs a proper burial. She so wants to make things right, to, to, to reconcile things. And, and it's in this moment, as she reels in her grief, that Jesus calls her by her name, Mary. And as though the spell is broken, she, she turns to face him. In a moment of recognition, reaches for the, for the familiar and respectful term, Rabboni, teacher. It's, it's like the good shepherd who, who calls his sheep by name and the sheep know his voice. Mary instantly recognizes him. It's as though a, a switch has been flicked and everything that was wrong has been set right. Everything that was lost has been gained. Here is Jesus. But Jesus sends her on. He says, don't cling to me. Now is not the time for long reunions. She, she has an important job to do. Everyone needs to know that Jesus is alive. And so, she sends, so he sends her on to, to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And so in Mary's story, when the lights come on for her, it, it's as though the world just makes sense again, as her grief is snatched up in joy and her longing finds its fulfillment. It makes me think of a friend of mine called Sam, who, who came to one of our basic Christianity courses at a church I was at before this. And he said to me right at the beginning, Paul, I, I wish, I so wish I could have your faith. Um, I think he really didn't mean that. I think there were, for him, the world just seemed bleak. And he wanted to believe that there was something more. The man, he wasn't just dust. 
but it also was, you know, I wish I could have your faith, as if um, I could never have your faith, you know, with the knowledge that I have. But as he went through the course, as he began to read the Bible for the first time, the barriers fell down for him, and he realized Jesus wasn't a, a fairy tale or a crutch to lean on, but that Jesus was the Lord, and the lights came on for him. And when they did, he, he just, he, he burst out of his shell. He, he jumped into church with, with two feet. He um, started to wrestle with what that's going to look like for his life. He, he learned to love reading the Bible. He started telling his mates. It was really exciting to see just the, the, the lights go on for him, to see his longings turn to joy and faith, like in Mary's story. And Mary's given the job to, to, to go on from there, to go and tell the disciples. We're not told here what, how they respond to Mary. Uh, we're told, in, in, if you read Luke's account, probably not that good. That it, it says there that there were, her words seemed like nonsense to them. Um, but we, we have here instead Jesus appearing to them. Uh, we have, a, uh, yeah, him coming and standing among them. And we see them overjoyed with the, with, the, with the confidence and assurance of Jesus standing before them. Jesus is alive. And once they've understood, Jesus says to them some slightly um, curious words. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is in verse 21. And then he symbolically breathed on them as he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, these verses uh, have, have tripped people up in the past. So I want to slow down on them for a moment. What, what is Jesus saying here? You might ask kind of, is this them kind of receiving the Spirit? How does that work with, if you know the story, that there's kind of a moment not long after this at, at Pentecost where they, they receive the Spirit. And that moment, they're, they're, they're transformed. Here, if you keep reading, they're not really transformed. Actually, if you read on to chapter 21, they still seem pretty underwhelming. Uh, but the, the, the bigger question there is, what, um, what's going on with the, the stuff about forgiveness? Where does that fit in? Um, are they give, having the Holy Spirit, does that give them authority to forgive sins? What's happening here? So let me give you my quick, quick take on it. I think the key is to remember where this fits into the story. What Jesus is doing here is reminding them of where they're up to. They've lost sight of it for a moment of what's going on. They've been thrown off by Jesus' death. And now Jesus is coming to remind them that this was always the plan. There's, there's four key moments that he's pointed to again and again throughout, uh, many, many times throughout the Gospel of John. He's told them that he's going to suffer and die, that he's going to be resurrected. But he's also told them quite a number of times, uh, he's going to, to ascend into heaven. He's going to go to, to heaven to prepare a place for them. And when he does, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. So there's kind of a, a four-step movement that Jesus has been talking about that hasn't sunk into them. He's going to die, rise, ascend, and send the Holy Spirit. There's Jesus' four-step plan. And, and so now Jesus is reminding them of where they're up to. Uh, to Mary, he reminded her that this isn't the end of the plan. Don't cling to me. I, I'm ascending. This is the beginning of a new chapter. So go and tell the, the disciples, I'm risen and I'm ascending. And then to the disciples, he says, remember the rest of the plan. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Like a breath coming from me, he'll, he'll come upon you and empower you. I think that's what Jesus is doing. He's kind of reminding them of where they're up to. What's, what's the next chapter? And But what's this got to do with the, the forgiveness of sins? That's kind of the second part of the question. Does having the Holy Spirit give them the authority to forgive? No. But they do have the knowledge to determine whether someone's forgiven or not with, with an assurance that no one could have had before. 
they, they can give an extraordinary assurance to someone because of what Jesus has done. They can turn to someone they've, they've just met and say, you are forgiven and know that it is true if their faith is in Jesus. They don't need to kind of sit down with them, tally up a list of good and bad that they've done or, or, or go through their, uh, you know, church attendance records or whatever it is. They, they just need to know whether they trust in Jesus. And that's, that's kind of um, and new and it's profound, the assurance that they can offer uh, because of that. So that they're able to say something, your sins are forgiven and know that it is true because of what Jesus has done. And so that's what I think is happening here, both to, both to Mary and to the disciples. He's reminding them of the plan. Yes, I'm resurrected, but this doesn't mean things will go back to how they were. Things are about to change, and the next, the next chapter is, is your Spirit-empowered mission in my absence. I'm ascending, and I'm sending the Holy Spirit. So that, that's kind of the, the encounter with the, with the disciples, I think. That's, that's where, what, what he's up to. The next is we come to Thomas. We know him as Doubting Thomas which is true here, but even, even a few moments later, he's believing Thomas. It's probably a shame that he didn't get the title Believing Thomas, so that would be a, a bit more favorable. Um, it's not totally fair, but Doubting Thomas, I think it's, it's what he's stuck with, not Didymus either. I think John tries to sneak Didymus in there, also known as Didymus, the, the twin, but um, no, Doubting Thomas, and uh, it's pro probably for the best for us as well, because his doubting is actually really important for us. Because it teaches us something really important about Jesus. Uh, Thomas is, is stubborn in his doubt. I, I hadn't noticed all of these details until I, I looked at it again this week. The, the disciples first come to him and tell him, we've seen the Lord. And he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, I, I will not believe. That, that phrase, it's, it's emphatic and it's stubborn. I, I will not believe. The ESV says, I will never believe. And I hadn't noticed just how long he sits in it. It's not, not that night, but actually a, a week later that Jesus appears. I, I don't know if you can imagine what, what that might have been like for him with kind of all of his best friends who he's been traveling with the last three years to have that, that conflict of faith for, for them to be saying, we've seen the Lord and him to be saying, I, I will never believe. That, that can't have been a comfortable week for them. But a week later, there they are again, Sunday night, gathered together, doors locked, and this time Thomas is with them. And so after a whole week, Jesus comes to Thomas. And now you might wonder, how would Jesus respond to doubt like that? Such stubborn doubt. And it's easy to imagine any number of ways that he could respond. He could have shamed him. Thomas, after all we've been through, how could you still doubt? He could have condemned him. You, you stiff-necked fool, how could you still not believe after, after all that you've seen? He, he might have panicked. No, Thomas, no, you, you, you can't doubt me. You have to be one of my apostles. Uh, he could have downplayed it, played it or, or, or avoided the topic. And I wonder how you might respond to doubt. If Thomas was one of your children or if Thomas was someone that you were leading, that just insists, or, or Thomas was one of your friends that, that insisted, I, I will not believe, I will never believe, unless you give me absolute proof. I think it's really helpful to see that Jesus doesn't panic. Jesus doesn't condemn or shame or downplay or freeze. Jesus turns to him, reaches out his hand, put your finger where the nails were. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas turns in, in worship, my Lord and my God. 
See, truth does not fear investigation. Truth does not fear your doubts. Jesus invites Thomas to investigate the evidence, to come to the the clear and undeniable conclusion that Jesus is alive. And so for us, I think there's there's a couple of really important lessons there, some really key things to see about Jesus and about doubt. Because we're people who go through doubts as well, we're people um, who God has made to, to question, to investigate, to long for truth and assurance. All of us go through doubts, but um, I want to say two things. One is that doubt is not a good companion to take with you. Many of us can kind of harbor doubts and questions, um, almost in a shameful part of us, but you should not live with doubt. It's not a good place to to live. Doubt can can, um, can erode you. It can can be be sinful and, and too often kind of come alongside sin. I was too often carried too far. Doubt is not a good companion. The second is to notice that doubt, that, that your, your doubts are safe with Jesus. Jesus is not afraid of your doubts. Jesus is not afraid of your investigation. Jesus wants your big questions and your wrestles. So bring them out into the light. We can so often carry them with us for so long, but I find once they're out in the light, they're, they're much easier to process. And so if you're on the other side of that, if someone expresses doubt to you, expresses concerns, expresses questions, it's really important to be prepared for that moment uh, so that you don't freeze or panic or condemn or shame accidentally or incidentally. But to to know that truth doesn't fear investigation, that that questions are a really good and important part of of growing in faith. We've mentioned kind of, we've just come back from um, LIT, Shout out for the, to those that are here from LIT. Good on you guys. Um, it was such a p- good uh, pump up for the year. So so good to, um, yeah, we, we sent nine, nine teenagers from our church off to, off to Youth Works to be trained in Christian leadership and teaching the Bible um, and to get excited about serving for the year ahead. And I, I visited yesterday. And one question that we were talking about was, um, what do you love in serving others? And uh, one person, I hope they wouldn't mind me saying this, said, I love to kind of to wrestle with big ideas um, and, and help people through big questions. But with, canvassed it with the fact that we're actually, would, that they found it really hard to do that. This person's always been someone who has huge questions about God and the universe and everything, but it's found it really hard to find a place in, in a church setting to, to raise those and, and, and talk through them as though to ask the big, honest questions might, might put them on the outer. And so I think it's really important that, that we, um, we don't fear doubts or questions. We, we, um, we're ready to, to wrestle through them together. Uh, Jesus is not afraid of our doubts, and neither should we be. And so there are the, the three different responses to the good news that Jesus is alive. Mary's longing and grief turns to, to overflowing joy. The disciples' fear and confusion turns to, to clarity and joy, and Thomas's doubt evaporates into belief in a moment. Finally, John turns the barrel of the camera to face you. And so to conclude, I'd, I'd like to do the same. Would you read with me um, from verse 29? In talking to Thomas, he, he responds to him. Um, he says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then John adds his little comment at the end there, where he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, 
But these, that is the things that are recorded in the book, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John there is giving us quite explicitly what, what the purpose in writing the book. For you, the reader, this is written that you might believe. And by believing, you might have life in his name. Now, some people hear lines like that, that blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed, and they, they hear it commending a blind faith. As is, what, what I need to do is just kind of take a step in the dark, step forward in faith. But actually, John's point is quite the opposite of that. When, when you read the next verse, John has laid out all the evidence before you. This is not a blind faith or a leap in the dark. John's inviting you to, to look at the evidence and to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He's putting his cards on the table. I've, I've, I've put out everything you need to have faith. And so what are you going to do with the evidence that you've been given? If you've never read the book of John, do that. C- consider the evidence that, that these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Um, there's a few of us at church at the moment who are, who are keen to read through the book of John with someone. So whether you're, you're a Christian or you're kind of keen to revisit the, um, John or, or, or you're kind of someone who's coming into it, there are a few people across our church who have said that they'd like to do that. There's, there's this thing called Word One-to-One. There's some booklets and, and an app which just walk you through the book of John and, and some questions to ask, some helpful explanations. And that'd be a really good thing to do, to just kind of look at the evidence, look at the, the, the life of Jesus and come to your own conclusion. If you'd like to read through it, it with someone, then let, let me know and I can see if I can get you connected. Um, but that's John's concluding invitation to you. To, to you, the reader, you're brought into the story. Um, these are written that, that you may believe. So what are you going to do with the, with the, the, the news, the, the good news that Jesus is alive? Uh, would, you, would you pray with me? Love me, Father, we're sorry for our unbelief. Would you help us together to, to believe? Would you fill us with exuberant joy and full assurance? Would you plant in us a fire to tell the good news that Jesus is alive? Amen.